And let's turn to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 9 is where we are. We didn't make it too far last week. And so we concluded after point one. And so we're going to try and pick up in point two this week in our study. Uh, before we get there, though, a, a couple of things uh, by way of reminder. Uh, I would ask that if you would please keep the Varners in prayer. Next Sunday, uh, I've been invited to speak in Moxville, North Carolina, just outside of Salisbury for their homecoming. And so our family will travel on Friday, uh, stop by my mom's house, spend some time with her, and then Saturday we'll meet up with the pastor and his wife of Jerusalem Baptist. Uh, you'll remember Pastor Donnie Chapman and his wife Sharon were actually here for our homecoming last year. And so he's extended that uh, favor, and, and so we're going to, Lord willing, go there. And then the church we ministered in for about nine years, a lot of their folks are going to uh, have us over on Sunday evening to meet with them. So we'll be going and back, uh, Lord willing, uh, probably next Tuesday, uh, because we're going to be so close to South Carolina, we're going to go watch the sun turn dark. So anyway, so pray for us. We'll, uh, we'll try and get back this way, but I definitely covet your prayers as I seek to bring a message of encouragement to that uh, body there. That, that church, Jerusalem, was where our family landed uh, when, we, when we left the previous ministry. We were there for about four months, and they were uh, just a wonderful church family poured into us, and so I'm excited about the opportunity to be able to just come back for a homecoming service and, and hopefully encourage them even half as much as the way they encouraged us. So pray for that. Uh, Pastor Nate will be bringing you the message here, so I know he appreciates your prayers for him this week as he prepares something other than Hebrews. So, but, uh, but he does brew because he brewed us some coffee last night. Speaking of his house last night, I don't know that we introduced, I was not here in the early part of the announcements. Okay, we want to recognize uh, some guests amongst us, our Word of Life area missionary, all the way from Winston-Salem. Uh, he came and did the training, he and his wife. So, Chad, I'm going to ask if you would, you and Ashley stand, and then their kids, Emily and um, Parker. Yeah, go ahead and stand. Uh, Parker's not with us, he, I guess he went back. But yeah, let's give them a hand for their service. Thank y'all. Thank you. Uh, I do appreciate that. I uh, appreciate their time yesterday coming out. And so they stayed over and, and joined the services with us this morning. So appreciate them. Uh, a relationship that no doubt will uh, continue uh, as uh, they help us uh, make sure our clubs are running smooth. So appreciate y'all being with us. In your Bibles, the book of Hebrews, chapter 9. And I want to back up with the reading, and then we'll start here in verse 15. But let's go back for the reading purposes to get the context. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. If you need a Bible, should be a Bible in the pew in front of you. Hebrews 9, 11. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse you, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator is, uh, lives. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself, and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. 
Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Therefore, it was necessary that the copy of the things in the heavens should be purified with these. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the truth, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often, as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another, he then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time, apart from sin, for salvation. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will just allow me to be a vessel for your honor. I pray that I would be an instrument of righteousness, that you would fill me with your spirit to proclaim your word with boldness in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for the listener this morning that their heart would be attentive, Lord, that if there be any distractions, that they be removed from their heart and their mind and that we would sit at your feet and that you would be our teacher. Lord, make your word known, illuminate its truth and draw us near as we seek to worship and honor you with our lives. And Lord, I pray if there's someone here today, someone listening that does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray that today they would see their need and that they would turn from their sin and place their faith in Jesus Christ as their only means of salvation. And to you be the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So you recall last time we talked about from verses 11 to 14 how Christ is high priest. He talked about how there's... Uh, that he's greater in a more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, not of this creation. Uh, again, we looked at uh, the, the writer has been talking about in the Old Testament how they used to use the tabernacle as a type and shadow pointing people to one day the coming Messiah who would take away uh, the sins of the world. And again, all these sacrifices and all these elements within the worship of the temple, of the, of the tabernacle, were to point them to the substance, the reality. These were types and shadows. These were not the fulfillment. And when we looked at all of those various items that were used in worship in the tabernacle, we explained how Christ was seen in those things. How Christ is the fulfillment of those, those acts of worship, those items, those furnishings themselves. Christ is the fulfillment. He is the substance. Those were types and shadows. And so the author is, is pleading, and we get to chapter 9, guys, and chapter 9 is the whole point. I mean, he's been building his theological argument. He's trying to get his audience, those that are receiving this letter, to understand this is the point. Christ offers you a better covenant. He is a greater high priest. Those were temporal. Don't hold on to those. The substance, the reality has come. And that's his heart plea. And yet, with that heart plea, there was many there in the midst that were struggling with should they follow Christ or should they go back into that which made them comfortable and follow the traditions of their forefathers. The empty ritualistic practices and works. Therefore, in essence, making void the reality in the sense that they were saying, Christ, your sacrifice isn't sufficient enough. We're going to go back to these things, which is ridiculous. 
And I gave you that illustration last week. And by the way, uh, Miss Holly, I know, had shared with me personally about the shadow concept, and, and I'd read that as well in one of the commentaries. And last week I hit on the tree and the shadow. What's greater, the tree or the shadow? And we, we looked at the shadow on the ground, and we said, wow, it's beautiful, it's amazing. Hey, but there's a tree here. Look how beautiful the, the, the branches and the leaves and how glorious. Eh, I love the shadow. And that's what these folks, in essence, are doing by their actions. And yet it's no different than our day because a lot of people go to churches week in, week out, and they hold to the shadows and types, the traditions. They check the religious boxes. And yet they're empty because this points them, should point them to the Christ of Scripture. And so, we talked about, as the writer makes this argument, he says, look, Christ was, uh, is a greater sacrifice. He's a greater high priest. He's a greater sacrifice because it's not with the blood of goats and calves. It's His own blood. He's entered the most holy place in verse 12. We saw that. He obtained eternal redemption. Again, not temporary redemption. And we talked about how... Again, this is one of the strongest passages in Scripture, in my opinion, that offers the believer assurance that Christ's finished work is sufficient. It is done. Those high priests had to keep coming back year in, year out, year in, year out, year in, year out, offering sacrifice upon sacrifice upon sacrifice because they were types, they were shadows, they weren't the substance. But Christ has come and offered the sacrifice once for all. It's done. And that sacrifice, as we see in today's text as we move forward, is sufficient to go all the way back to the beginning of time and the fall of man and extend all the way to the end of time. Because the sacrifice that has been offered is none other than the God-man himself. Don't let someone talk you out of the security of your salvation. If you are truly born again, you can bank on the finished work and the sufficiency of Christ. He says it here in this text. Not with bloods of, uh, of goats and calves, but with His own blood He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. What, what is your redemption? It's eternal for if the bloods of goats and ashes of a heifer sprinkling with the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. Because again, this was a ritualistic thing. This was just a, a you know, kind of a, a yearly thing. And, 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 and so they would leave there, but they would still leave with guilty consciences. They would still know that, you know, they're not completely removed. And, and, and so they would have to come back. It was retroactive for the year previous, but they also knew they would be back there in a year. How much more, verse 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Do you hear the plea of this man? He's saying, look, man, you guys are still doing... Those are empty works. Those are dead works. The high priest has come. The great high priest. The one that that pointed to. He's come. And if you'll put your faith and trust in Him, your conscience will be cleared. And, and you will begin to move forward to do greater works, to do the works that He created you to do. Therefore, if we are in Christ Jesus, old things pass away, all things are becoming new. We look into Ephesians 2 and we see that you are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And this is His plea. And it's the plea today that if you have empty religion, but you do not have a relationship with the living Christ, He invites you to come. He asks you to put your faith in His sufficient sacrifice. His death, His burial, and His resurrection. What a greater high priest. He's ascended into the throne room of grace. He, he sits at the right hand of the Father and He makes intercession for us. Though the accuser of the brethren accuses night and day. And I know He gets on our shoulders often, doesn't He? Shoots fiery darts at you. 
But man, nothing but the blood. How about that second song they sang this morning? Wonderful song. I don't know about you, that's my defense. The blood of Christ. Praise God for the blood of Christ. In case y'all didn't know, I'm a flawed man. Okay? So if you're looking at my, I know, it's a shocker. I know. But I am grateful. My defense lawyer is Jesus Christ. So, here we go. Christ is a mediator. He, he, he is mediator. Let's take a look at this. Verse 15. Notice what it says in the text. And for this reason, what, oh, oh, we got to put the brakes on. Y'all thought we were getting somewhere, didn't you? All right. Man, I love it when God puts this in the Bible. He says, and for this reason, well, what reason? Everything this writer has just been arguing, everything he's just been telling us, specifically the thought I believe is verses 11 to where we are, and for this reason, he is mediator of the new covenant. This is why he's mediator of the new covenant. Why? Because he's came as high priest. Because he's offered his own blood. What is a mediator? A mediator is one that stands in between two parties, right? That are at odds with each other. Guys, you, you didn't know this. You and God were at odds with each other. When you came into this world, when I came into this world, we were all born spiritually dead in our trespasses and sin. We have broken God's holy law. You and I are separated from God. And unless someone brings us together, unless something happens to unite us, we will die a second death. We will go to the grave. We will stand before a holy God unforgiven of the sins, the trespasses, the offenses. And you and I could do nothing. You know, the title of this sermon was If There's a Will, There's a Way. And you remember we started with quoting the mayor of New York City, uh, the former mayor, uh, I think it was Michael Blumenthal, and he was talking about how if he stands in the day of judgment, he's going to be fine. And he cited his good work with gun safety and all of these other acts that he has done. i got news for you. If you're banking on getting into heaven because of your good deeds... you will fall way short of the glory of God. Our righteous acts, even on our best day, God describes as filthy rags. But there's a mediator, the man, Christ Jesus. This is why he came into the world, to seek and to save that which is lost. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by him. And so, God reaching down into the form of man extends a hand of grace to mankind. And it's only by that grace that we can be made right through the cross of Calvary. Just as the high priest would offer sacrifice to atone, and in that case cover, Jesus offers the blood of the Lamb of God Himself to remove as far as the east is from the west our sins and to make us in right standing again with God. And so the writer continues here and he says this. He says, he, Christ is mediator. It's for this reason. How? How? By means of death. See, that's what the writer's been arguing here. He's, he's trying to reason with these people and their, and their uh, religiosity and their practices, their, their temple practices, because the temple's still standing at this point in time. So there's still they're, they're, there's this bloody sacrifice system that's still in play. So how is Christ a better mediator? Because of his own shed blood. He has offered himself, the text tells us. Why? What does the text say? And for this reason, he is mediator of the new covenant. How? By means of death. Why? 
for redemption. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. There's no redemption. People may want to ask, well, why is your religion, you know, you got this Old Testament, all these bloody sacrifices. I mean, it just seems a little messed up. Guys, from the fall of man, do you remember the first thing God did when man fell and they went and hid themselves and they were hiding because they realized their nakedness and their shame? They, they recognized their sinful state because of their disobedience to God? One of the first things that happened was there was an animal slain so that he would clothe them with the skin with, with that, uh, of that animal. Now, I can't prove this, but I believe that first animal slain was a lamb. I believe he clothed them in wool. By the way, it's where the concept of clothing comes from. Aren't you thankful we don't walk around like Adam and Eve? Hallelujah. This is where the idea of clothing comes from. But God clothed them. And that was foreshadowing because one day he would clothe them in his righteousness to those who put their faith and trust in the coming Messiah. Christ is a mediator for this reason. How? By means of death. Why? For redemption. The whole purpose. You and I were slaves. Slaves to sin. This is why I don't know if you've ever struggled with this. But prior to salvation, you just, well, I don't know about you, maybe, you know, I, I, I know how I was. Prior to salvation, I went to sin. I gravitated to sin. I loved my sin. In fact, the Bible says there is pleasure in sin for a season. Some of you may be finding yourself in that season right now, and, and you say, well, I don't know what the big deal is. You know, it's just a little fun. Be sure your sin will find you out. There's another scripture passage. Guys, that's a short season. And that season closes. And you better pray that if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, that that season doesn't close and it be eternally too late. As we see in this passage we read today, it's appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. We will all stand before God. The question is, will you and I stand in our shame and our nakedness? Or will we stand clothed in the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world? He offers that grace to you. He wants to be your mediator. He wants to be your high priest. Christ is mediator. Who? For who? Who's he mediator for? Well, let's look at the text. Man, I love simplistic outlines that just spell out right in your Bible. And for this reason, he's mediator of the new covenant. How? By means of death. For who? For the, or, or why? For the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant. For who? that those who are called... Who's this redemption for? For the called? Who, and notice, he spells it out even further. Um, the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise... Oh, wait a minute. Under the first covenant, that they may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. So we see here... Not only is it those who the called or those who were under the first covenant who walked by faith, they were doing these ritualistic things and bringing these items not because of just the religiosity of it. Though there were many who did that, there were many who were doing that faithfully and humbly year in, year out because they knew what it represented. They knew that one day... the that a, the real Messiah would come and, and that, that, that one day their sins would be completely removed and, and forgiven. And so they held to the promises in the Old Testament, uh, whether it was the uh, Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, these things, the promises of God, they held to that. They believed that. They put their trust in that. 
And so as they were called to follow, they faithfully followed. And in those under the second covenant, the new covenant, Jesus Christ says, this is the new covenant, which I offer in my blood. And every time that we do the Lord's table, we're reminded of this. We'll talk hopefully a little bit more about that here in just a little bit as well. Uh, I desire for us to do the Lord's table, uh, deacons, hopefully the 27th. So make, make, write that down. We'd love for folks to be in town, but we'll shoot for August 27th. And we're reminded that that redemption is for those that God has extended the call. And he says, whosoever will, let them come. Have you heard his nudge? Have you heard the Spirit of God? Have you responded to that? You know, some people get caught up in this whole thing. Uh, you know, who the called are, the elect, and, you know, and people build all little camps and segments on it. Guys, let me just say, just read your Bible. Be a biblicist. Try not to get sucked down these little side paths and rabbit trails and camp out there. Let's just keep moving. Let's just keep moving in the text. Does it say it? Sure it does. Whosoever will, let them come. Whosoever will, let them come. I walk through that door and one day I stand in eternity and I look back and it says the called. Huh, that's kind of funny how that works. I'm not going to spend my time uh, going around. Oh, sorry, yeah, you're not called. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. It's not my position, guys. So let's continue to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's continue to go to a lost and dying world. Let's continue to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's continue to hold God at His word where He says He's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. I don't see a lot of these rabbit trails that I see theologians and hipster Christianity getting caught up in today because... In the early church, they were too busy going and seeking and winning the lost to Christ. So let's be about our Father's business. Christ is mediator. How? By means of death. Why? For redemption. For who? The called. Those under the first covenant and those under the second covenant. Those who will come to Jesus Christ as their only means of salvation shall be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This grace was extended in the Old Testament. How were people in the Old Testament saved? The same way we are. By grace are you saved through faith. It's a gift of God, guys. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. If God doesn't take on the form of a man, He doesn't become a mediator between God and man. Thank the Lord for His saving grace. And then we look at the what. Well, what is it? What, what, what is this redemption? What is, what is this all about? Well, let's keep reading the text. I love it. It says, He is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death. The how. For re, the, the answer to the why, for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant. For who? That those who are called may, what? Receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Guys, and I know I hate chopping this sermon up because it just does so much in just Go back and read this in its context. Read this through. I love what uh, Dr. Shook teaches you guys on Sunday nights, and I know they're looking forward to that getting going again, I hope. Uh, and, and we look there. Nothing like putting him on the spot, right? Um, and, and so, he, you know, read five chapters. Read five chapters. Guys, this is a case in point. When we break this up on Sunday mornings, it just like goes, oh! That's why I go so long on Sunday mornings because I want you to get the context. Well, that's not really the reason, Pastor. You just want us to be tortured. <laughs> that may be true, too. But, guys, when we read through this section, I mean, we get the full thought here. All these promises that were extended to Abraham from the beginning of the fall when he promises through your seed, Eve. We hear the first hint of the gospel. 
And then Abraham's covenant. The Davidic covenant. The Mosaic covenant. And then the coming of Christ who says, all of those things are fulfilled in me. I did not come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. Here in your midst today, the reading of this prophecy is fulfilled today in your midst. Kill him! You know, I made a lot of enemies by speaking truth. You speak the truth, you too will probably get a few enemies. What? They may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. By the way, that inheritance is not temporary. Hey! Uh... Saw your dad passed away. Sorry about that. Uh, he left a little something for you. But it's only good for a year. <laughs> We're going to come back and get it in a year. Just letting you know. Not how it works, guys. Not how it works. That they may receive the promise. The promises. Guys, I'm going to tell you, you want to do something good to help you spiritually? Go through the pages of Scripture. And when you see a promise, highlight it. When you see a promise from God, underline it. Because as a called, as a child of God, as an inheritant, as one who, who stands in line to inherit the promises of God, you want to know what the promises are. And you talk about helping you walk in your faith, when you see God making a promise, stand on it. Stand on it. If God be for you, who can be against you? That's a good promise. That's a great promise. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. That's a great promise. That's a great promise. Christ is mediator. So let's press forward. Christ is testator. Now you say, wait a minute, what is that word? Yes, exactly what I said too. And if I'm pronouncing it wrong, get over it. All right, it's either testator or testator. Potato, patata. Eh, let's call the whole thing off. No, let's don't. Christ is testator. What does this mean? Now, I know some of you are scratching your head because you're saying, well, my Bible doesn't say that, preacher. My Bible don't say that. Mine says covenant. Ah, it does, huh? Some of you may have something else. Various translations say something different here. Why? Why is that? Well, again, context dictates how this should be interpreted. And so there's been some question as to how this should be um, translated. I'm going to take a shot at trying to help you understand why uh, it is translated the way it is. For where there is a testament, by the way, the same word is used, same Greek word is used. Whether some, and it goes interchangeably from here down through verse 18. It's going to change. Some of you, you'll see covenant, and then you'll see testament, you'll see testator, but it's the same Greek word. For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Now, let me stop for a second, because this will help you understand this. Christ is testator. Where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be be the death. Think about it. Some of yours may read Last Will and Testament. That's the concept here. Is the Testament, the Last Will and Testament, is it of any effect while the person's living? No, I know, don't get technical on me, but no, the concept is that while that person is alive, you don't get the inheritance. Now, you can pray for my family. I'm a, I'm a transparent kind of guy. All right? I, I don't care a whole lot for wear the mask and hide who you are. I'm a real person. I'm going to tell you who I am. I'm going to let you in my business. All right? Pray for my family. You know my grandfather died some time back. Brothers and sisters are still fighting over the will. It's terrible. And some of you know because some of you have lived it. Some of you have experienced it. Okay? Now, with that said, my grandfather's will was not in play while he was alive. But after he died, the testament, the last one testament, now comes into play. 
a covenant is still active and it's between two parties. And in the case we've been learning in Hebrews, the covenant that's been offered has been contingent upon the person of God. So now we've got a dilemma. Because according to Jeremiah 34, that if there's a breach of the covenant, somebody's got to pay. And somebody's got to pay with death. This is why you see in the Abrahamic covenant, remember when Abraham fell asleep and God did the work? And the whole little fiery furnace and uh, the other thing, you know, he goes between the, the body parts of the carcasses that were spread apart and, and Abraham's asleep and God comes between it and, and we talked about how that was to show that this was all on God. This was all on God. But we just read in the previous chapter where the first covenant was broken because upon the Mosaic implementation, when, no, when uh, Moses came down and he sprinkled the blood and he made the covenant, so there was death to solidify the Mosaic covenant. Go back and read Exodus, you'll see it. He sprinkled blood on the people, and the people basically agreed, yes, we agree to do this, we agree to keep this, and we just found out in the previous chapter that they didn't keep it. They broke it. And so... If you look up Jeremiah 34, there's an Old Testament example where if you don't honor the covenant, and by the way, that's the way they would solidify covenant. They would split the carcasses in two. And so basically, if you don't keep the covenant, this is what's going to happen to you. All right? That was the idea. There's death. So God's people deserved what was coming. But remember, God's the one who offered it. Abraham's asleep. And when we read this section, I believe the author is making this case loud and clear. Jesus Christ allowed his body to be broken, to be slain in fulfillment of God's promise to you and to me. If we got what we deserve, we deserve death. But God took it upon himself. And it's all of His grace. It's all of His work. Not our work. And that's what He's pleading with these people. Don't go back to dead works. He's done it all. He's made this clear from the beginning. And I'm pleading to make it clear to you now. And so there's death now. The death of Jesus Christ. And so those promises now, through the last will and testament can come into play. My grandfather's will will be carried out one way or the other. It will be dispersed. But not until death. Christ is testator, therefore there must be death, is the point. And notice what it says. Therefore, there must be the shedding of blood, verses 18 through 22, therefore not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant. Sound familiar? This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. And so now we have a new covenant that begins the same way. But it was Christ in the upper room who says, this is the new covenant in my blood. Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. Now guys, this is where I'm going to give you a little uh, apologetic intro here. This is where we separate from Catholicism. In fact, the uh, Council of Trent wrestled through a lot of these things. Some of you, that won't matter, won't mean anything to you. Don't worry about it. I'm going to give it to you in layman's terms. Put the cookies on the bottom shelf. What's the difference between the Mass and the Lord's Supper? Because, you know, if you've been in Catholicism, you will... Mass is a big, important thing. How is that different from the Lord's Supper? The Catholic doctrine, the teaching of perpetual offering, 
is heresy. And what do I mean by that? I mean this. Hebrews 9 is the greatest scriptural evidence to point the error out in their practice. Because they believe in the offering of that wafer and the offering of that wine that it is a continual death. It is a continual manifestation of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That sacrifice is continuing to go on and on and on. It's a perpetual offering. But guys, that smacks in the face of what God told you in His Word. And in fact, that smacks in the very purpose and point of this author. He's pleading with these people. No, guys, this is a once-for-all sacrifice. The eternal redemption's been given. It's done. And so when you say, no, you have to continue to take this wafer, and in the transubstantiation, we could go into that. That's a whole other ballgame. But here's the point. That is not in line with Scripture. The doctrine of perpetual offering, it maintains that inasmuch as the priesthood of Christ is perpetual and sacrifice is an essential part of priesthood. Therefore, the sacrificial offering of Christ must also be perpetual. That would be their argument. In other words, God's satisfaction regarding sin depends upon the weekly mass. That is why attending Mass is so important to Catholics. I had a former Catholic in our church, and he taught our teens, and he said, you know, I used to always, as a good Catholic, want to get hit by a bus leaving Mass, because then I was sure of heaven. That's what he said. Now, in the Lord's Supper, which was instituted in the upper room, and we see, do this in remembrance of me, we remember Christ's sacrificial death, but He's not re-sacrificed. The Lord commanded His disciples to remember His death, not to try to redo it. And that's what this has spelled out for us here in chapter 9. Once for all, a greater sacrifice entered into the holy place, sat down, Therefore it was necessary that the copies of the things in heaven should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into the heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that He should offer Himself often. Not that He should offer Himself often. Like weekly mass. as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another. Verse 26, look at it. He then... Okay, so if this is a perpetual sacrifice from the high priest, and they get that confusion of that's what Jesus does, and it says, He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, He has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. And as is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. How many times did Christ die? Once. When was the judgment settled? At the cross of Calvary. It is finished. Even the God-man once died. Not perpetually. He's not continually being re-sacrificed. That's why we should take offense when we see Christ on the crucifixion. He's not there, guys. He is risen from the dead. He's alive. The tomb's empty. Don't keep re-sacrificing Jesus Christ. That's false doctrine. That's exactly what the writer is saying to these Old Testament Jews who were wanting to hang on to their practices because they were going to continue to offer empty, meaningless, ritualistic sacrifices because Christ has finished the work. It's done. Hallelujah. I get Baptocostal on y'all. Forgive me. So, let's wrap this up. Baptist for another 20 minutes. Anyway, just kidding. So what do we find? Christ is testator. Purification. The shedding of blood. And again, you saw the elements laid out there at the tabernacle practice. Again, pointing to the purification. Christ's blood purifies us for the forgiveness of sins. He shed His blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Therefore, Jesus 
is better. Jesus' sacrifice is superior. It's a better sacrifice. Verse 23, it's a better sanctuary. Verse 24 through 25, and it's a better salvation. Hallelujah. Everybody's put their hope in some way, some means. Either other gods or religious practices. But if anything Hebrews is teaching us, guys, there is no other way. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by Him. He is our great high priest, and He is our mediator, and He has made a way, and He has taken the judgment upon Himself at the death uh, 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 upon the uh, cross of Calvary through his death he has paid the penalty the wages of sin is death but the gift the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord have you received the gift have you turned from your sin to the Savior to save you do you come to Him daily to confess your sins? And do you have a heart that says, Lord, I want to live for you? I recognize what sin costs. Death is, is disturbing. We witness tragic death yesterday, guys, on the news. Senseless death, hate. Do you see the results of sin? That's not God's fault. That's us. That's our wicked hearts manifesting. And it doesn't get any prettier. It gets worse and it grows and waxes worse and worse. And if God doesn't do something, there we all go. Except the grace of God. We be careful we dare not look down upon some other fallen man. Even the worst of mankind. Jesus Christ shed His blood in hopes... Man hears that gospel. Man's responsible, I understand. But guys, they too have value. Created in the image of God. That's why we love our neighbors as ourselves. There's no room for hate in the heart of a person who claims to be born again. And if that's a struggle you face, take it to the altar of Christ. Ask His forgiveness. Ask Him to give you a new heart. The new covenant Jeremiah mentioned. That's what God offers. Well, let's conclude. The point is, of Hebrews 9, 11 through 28. Here's the point. What's the point of this passage? I know, many are asking. Many are asking, what's the point? Hey, thank you for, for being awake. All right. God's people broke the Mosaic Covenant. And we too have broken God's commandments. We're all broken people. We're all guilty people. Blood was always a part of the covenant practice. Look at the Abrahamic, look at the Mosaic. He's been arguing this. The people were the ones who broke the covenant, not God. But yet God still offered himself, offered his son, Jesus Christ. Death has and always is the result of a broken covenant. Yet Jesus offers us a new covenant. He died in our place. John 1, 11 through 14, he came to his own. And his own did not receive him. But as many as received him... To them, he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. Where there's a will, there's a way. Not if it's the will of the flesh. Not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, 
and we beheld His glory. And the glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Guys, there is a will and there is a way, but if it's the will of the last will and testament. That's the way, because that testament was offered in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, and He offers you an inheritance. Have you received His gift? Shared this quote last Sunday night, those that were the ice cream parlor, act shocked. God's love for you will never end because it never began. Oh, I got you on that for a second. God's love for you will never end because it never began, guys. God's eternal. No beginning, no end. That's how he loved you before the foundation of the world. That's how he... Listen, guys, you, his love has always been. He is love. God is love. And so you want to see the love? You want to see the love demonstrated? Look to the cross of Calvary. God demonstrated his love toward you while you were still in your sin. Christ died for you. There's no greater love than a man lay down his life for you. Jesus Christ laid his life down for you. And if you're here today and you've never received that gift, please, I beg with you, just like the author of Hebrews is pleading with those people who are sitting in a church service. Some were scoffers, some were on the fence, not sure if they wanted to commit their life to Christ. And then there were those believers who were there, and no doubt some of them were in many stages of their walk. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word it is powerful, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, there is so much in depth here that we could chew on and think about and meditate on. And Lord, I pray that people would do this on their own throughout the week because you want to make yourself known to them. Lord, it's a relationship. Just like I love spending time with my wife and my kids and, and other church members, Lord, that that relationship might grow and develop. How much more spending time with you? Taking the time, not just to check religious boxes, Lord. Not just to say, hey, I went to church on Sunday. But, Lord, to genuinely draw near. And we can. Because the veil has been rent. The wall of separation has been torn down. Jesus Christ is a trailblazer who's made a way. And he says, come. Thank you for your amazing grace. And Lord, I pray if someone is listening today that does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, Lord, in this closing moment, right where they are, may they bow their heart and surrender. May they turn from the life that they are banking on, turn from their good works, and surrender their all to the finished work of Jesus Christ. May they call upon the only name given under heaven by which men can be saved. May they call upon the name of Jesus Christ. And Lord, you do what you said you would do. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Whosoever shall call upon that name shall be saved. May they do that in this moment, Lord, and may they make it known that today is their day of salvation. In Jesus' name.